to it. I've got two. Oh, you got to turn on your mic. Well, to repeat, I call the meeting of the Marin County Parks and Open Space Commission to order. I'd like to remind everyone that we're doing this in a hybrid format with both comments from people in the audience as well as uh, those who are online. So I'd first... Uh, ask to see whether there's anyone who would like to make a public comment on a matter that is not on the agenda today. Anyone in the public? Here in the room? Anyone online? Chair, there are no speakers in the queue. Moving then to the uh, agenda. Uh, we're now at item number three, which is the time for Max to give us the director's report. Max? Thank you, Commissioner Diet. Uh, Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And um, a bunch to announce here. I'll try to be brief. Uh, uh, Commissioner Guardado uh, resigned at the last meeting. Uh, the position is currently posted on the website, and we're accepting applications for commissioners and the board will consider an appointment on February 6th. Um, we have a bunch of storms coming up. Fortunately, we've gotten a lot of rain this year, so our rangers and, and team are busy, you know, making sure that uh, we're cleaning drains and, and patrolling our parks and preserves uh, for storms. Um, we just wrapped up our annual audit process. That went really well. The audit goes to our oversight committee in February, and then additionally, we bring the annual report to your commission in March. Um, our Bolinas Lagoon North End Sea Level Rise Adaptation Project, which as far as I know, I think is the biggest project that we've ever undertaken as a department, uh, was approved by the board uh, back in November. Uh, since then, we have been working on getting our last uh, permits uh, completed. And then we have a construction management contract that's coming to the Board of Supervisors uh, in the next few weeks. Um, and then we're hoping to go out to bid on the project in the next couple months. It'll take, you know, the main work will take uh, two years, and then there'll be some additional work following that. Uh, the Board of Supervisors approved our Cascade Canyon uh, Bridges Trail Improvement and Restoration Project. Uh, back, I think, late November, early December. Um, that's another project that we're now working uh, on um, permit approvals and then are likely to go uh, out to bid for construction either this summer or next summer, depending on how long all that takes. <clears throat> um, let's see. Also wanted to note that we've applied for several uh, large grants for uh, fuels reduction and um, forest health work. We're going to talk a lot about that kind of work uh, today, but um, planning partnership work in the San Geronimo Valley, both with the, our Marin County Fire Department and also our other one-tam partners as part of, part of our forest health strategy. And then lastly, I wanted to note that we took a really cool field trip to um, 
a magical bridge playground in uh, Palo Alto uh, the first week in January, along with a couple of the supervisors. There's, uh, we've been doing a lot of work, actually it started through our community grant program. We made connections with different organizations serving uh, adults and kids with disabilities. And uh, we, we made some connections with parent groups of parents with kids with disabilities. And they um, were really uh, interested in this concept of these magical bridge playgrounds, which started in the peninsula. And it's basically, they're inclusive playgrounds. So, you know, every playground has to meet the requirements of the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, but a lot of the features really aren't very um, usable for kids with disabilities, aren't, aren't very fun. And so this magical bridge group set out to make a playground that was fully utilizable and fun for kids with disabilities. And of course, kids of all abilities enjoy it. It was, when we were there, it was packed. And, um, you know, it's a large playground. There's, you know, there's still all the things that you would think of, like slides or tree house kind of uh, places, but they're accessible through ramps and in ways that you don't have to climb stairs to get to. And there's all kinds of really cool features um, to make um, every kid feel comfortable and welcome there. And so just really inspiring to see. And um, I think our department is really committed to working with these groups to see if we can't build one of these kinds of playgrounds in one of our parks uh, in the county. And we'll be starting that process. And later today, we have an item <coughs> for uh, considering whether any of you all as commissioners might want to volunteer to be work with some of our different teams on some of our initiatives. And that's one of the initiatives that um, is an opportunity. It'll, it's a process that'll probably take many years because they're right, really in-depth to develop, but um, wanted to make you aware of it. And that concludes my report. Questions of uh, Hector? Two. It's not on, on your list, not a clarification, but just curious if there was any damage to any of our facilities, parks, during the storm surges wave activity that came in last month. Well, you know, I, I'm not aware of any um, s major damage. There were two, a few minor things to note. So one is at Agate Beach in Bolinas. There's uh, some stairs that go down to the beach there. The, like, lowest couple stairs got washed out, and so our team is working on a repair for those stairs in the short term. In the long term, you know, sea level's rising. But, uh, and then... You know, another spot that is like, there, you always see pictures of it when, during these king tides and things is the Mill Valley Sausalito multi-use path. It gets over it was overtopped during this event. It's a ton of work for our team because not only does water come over the top of it, but sediment and trash and debris. And so every time that happens, we have to go out and clean it up. Um, so, uh, you know, those are the two things I'm aware of. There's probably more that I'm just not aware of. I do have one question in terms of that project uh, uh, to relocate the bikeway between Mill Valley and Sausalito, the one TAM project. Did, 
Have, will you be coming back to us with anything over the coming year, and have you been coordinating with other projects? Yes. So that project, you know, we are at a sort of 30% design for that project. We're raising money for, to move that forward and do the environmental compliance and all that. Um, it's it's part of our work plan. I don't know when the next step is, but it's you know it's going to take time. It's probably you know it's many years before we get to a point of implementing a project. The other thing we're doing at that site is working closely with Caltrans. They are. Um, in the next month or two, they're going to be making public presentations about potential sea level rise adaptation for that section of their um, facilities. So all inclusive of Highway 101, that interchange with Highway 1, and the Manzanita Park and Ride. Uh, and um, at least one of the potential alternatives they're considering would include doing some adaptation work to our path you know it could become a levy that would protect the um, interchange and the um, manzanita park and ride there and would you know essentially have a pump station connected with it and so our partnership and coordination with caltrans is really important uh, there's uh, obviously a lot of other alternatives and that's still a long way off but keep us posted on that one we'll do we will do the next item on the I agenda. I have one. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> it's okay, Pat. <laughs> um, just uh, uh, going back to your comments on the uh, uh, ADA uh, playground, I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, I know there's also, it was built probably 20 years ago now, but Oakland Rotary funded a complete uh, handicap accessible playground at Roberts uh, Regional Park. So. If you get a chance, it might be good to look at that one too. But it, it's an exciting idea, and um, it's a, it also uh, lends itself to a lot of these service clubs will, you know, help fund a project like that. So just a, uh, in addition to grants that you may achieve. We'll check it out, and that's such a good point. And I do think this is a project that will require private fundraising. So that idea about coordinating with service clubs, I mean, I think we're going to be relying on private partners to help raise money for it. Okay. Any other comments or questions? No. Moving then to the next item, I know you all have the draft minutes in your packet. I wondered if uh, everyone has had a chance to look them over and I would entertain a motion to approve. Well, motion to approve the uh, draft minutes. Second. Motion uh, has been proposed and seconded. Uh, all in favor can raise your hand and say aye. Aye. Those draft minutes are then approved. Can I just ask for clarification on the motion in the second? I apologize, I missed that. Who made the motion? I, uh, motion Lowndes, second O'Brien. Motion. Okay, and, thank you. Uh, Commissioner O'Brien seconded it. I was moving too quickly. I'm sorry. I should have said that. Uh, the next uh, item is the election of officers. The, uh, with Oscar's uh, departure, the uh, two current officers are myself, uh, who had been uh, vice chair, first vice chair, and Yolanda uh, Orvedo, who had been uh, second vice chair. Uh, 
staff has suggested we try and take this as a slate instead of uh, voting individually. So I uh, open the floor to suggestions for nominations of uh, officers. I, I concur with staff's recommendation. Good. Well, now we need to fill out the- uh, I do too, but that didn't help. <laughs> we had, uh, the, um, I really defer like, sorry, that's so loud. Am I hurting anybody? I defer to maybe the conversation last time this happened, if there's kind of a, an order. I, I definitely like where it's headed right now with the move up, and then. We have two, if, if, if um, you're, you're quietly saying you would like to support my candidature, that, that would be. As part of the slate is one, right. two, and then, and then we, we have to backfill the bottom. Th then we'd have um, uh, Yolanda moving up, that would be. A good idea, and then we'd have an open uh, uh, seat, and I would take nominations for the uh, second vice chair. I would recommend. Pardon me. I Let's have a. Do we have a, a, a potential candidate here? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Let's. Be clear. I think yeah. that there is a suggestion to nominate Commissioner Burns for yeah. the position of second vice chair. Correct. You accept that? Uh, I do. Then we have a slate. And let me make a motion then that we advance the slate for adoption by board. There's a motion. Is it seconded? I second it. So the motion is to advance a slate. Uh, which would include myself as chair, Commissioner Oviedo as vice chair, first vice chair, and uh, Commissioner Burns as second vice chair. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. The motion is carried unanimously. Moving then to item number six, which is the appointment of a Measure A community oversight committee uh, member. Um, Commissioner O'Brien has served on that committee and has a lot of wealth of knowledge. Um, and this would be a two-year appointment um, with four meetings uh, with the committee. Uh, I've served for two years, so I'm hoping if somebody else would like to uh, fill that slot. If not, I'm happy to do it again. It's, it's okay. Well, I think silence suggests that maybe you would be an excellent candidate to fill it again. Uh, you, it I the, the only political area where silence wins. Yeah. <laughs> I have been serving in that committee and know that you yeah. made great contributions Thank to you. it. So the proposal, um, did you need a second a proposer? Uh, let me make a motion again to propose uh, Commissioner O'Brien be appointed uh, uh, to the Measure A Oversight Committee. Second. Second. Excellent. We have a motion uh, made by uh, Commissioner Lone and a second by Commissioner Burns to appoint Commissioner O'Brien to the Measure A Community Oversight Committee. All in favor say aye. 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 Motion carries unanimously. 
Moving then to item number seven, which is vegetation management work plan. Uh, today it's before us as an informational item that will be coming back later as an action item and staff will present now an overview of the discussion perhaps. Max, you'd like to? I'll introduce it and then Sarah will take over. So yeah, this is each year we go through this process. This started back in like 20, some 2016, 2017, I don't know. Started a while ago when we brought our vegetation and biodiversity management plan to our board for their acceptance. And the board of uh, directors for the open space district uh, asked us to have a process with a lot of transparency and engagement from your commission around the development of our vegetation management work plan um, because this is when we go out to ask the community what they're interested in every single time they say the number one thing is vegetation management fuels reduction we have 3500 neighbors that back up against our preserve so we want to make sure we're doing a really good job we want to make sure that we're doing the right things and that we're making good decisions and so that's why we have this multi-step process where we bring this to your commission today. We get your feedback. We're also coordinating with the MWPA and their board and their technical advisory committee and all the fire departments and a ton of communities and a lot of community members. So my hat is off to our, uh, our awesome team here, Sarah, Nate, Jim, Sean. I mean, everybody's involved in it, but uh, anyway, these folks do an outstanding job. I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Max. Um, yeah, it really does take a team. Um, so I'm happy to be here today representing um, the, the whole body of work that we're focused on um, with our 2024 program of vegetation management. Um, can advance the slide. So I just like to start off with kind of what drives us in our vegetation management work. Um, the vegetation and biodiversity management plan is a guidance document that outlines the values of natural biodiversity, emergency and public access and community safety on our preserves, on our lands and in our communities that our preserves um, are part of. And that we have identified th the th in the vegetation management realm, there are these threats to those values, um, including wildfire, uh, invasive weeds, and uh, forest diseases that we are uh, working with and working to manage safely. Next slide. Um, so we uh, have this interaction on the landscape of these different threats where um, we have a century uh, or so of fire suppression that um, we've been doing to help protect our communities and the, the homes, the lives of um, the people who live here. But the result of that has been that our um, vegetation and our forested landscapes have uh, become more dense. They have a higher density of smaller trees um, and a buildup of fuels as they die and, and uh, build up on the forest floor. And those are things that normally would be somewhat mitigated by natural wildfire coming through an area that would reduce those things. Um, but in our current um, situation, we have that buildup happening. We also have invasive species uh, also um, lending to that buildup of fuels on the landscape. And um, 
also diseases such as uh, sudden oak death that are also contributing to this cycle that then ultimately can lead to not just uh, a wildfire, which could be healthy on the land, but to a damaging wildfire that could um, move quickly, be difficult to control, could threaten communities, and also really could threaten our, um, our natural landscapes. Uh, so ideally a fire can move through a resilient forest and have positive benefits, but in a situation with a lot of fuel buildup, um, there is that potential that the fire could burn more severely over a much larger area and that the result would be a loss of some of our uh, um, valuable uh, biodiversity in our preserves. Uh, next slide. So um, really our goal is to target a few areas of that cycle and um, see if we can address some of the, the buildup of fuels. Um, Next. There's uh, a few different things that um, we're focused on doing, really just, um, I think, yeah, reducing, as I said, the, the density of those um, really dense forests, reducing the ladder fuels in those areas, um, and reducing the ground fuels, um, and particularly doing that work in the areas near homes where we think it's going to have the most benefit. Um, and really want to focus on reducing, like we're not trying to remove everything from these areas. We are, we're trying to emulate the amount of material that a natural wildfire would remove, which is not everything. So, um, and then in addition, yes, preventing and removing invasive species is another way that we can reduce that fuel. And then removing uh, any of the dead um, ladder and ground fuels, particularly in those areas that are affected by sudden oak death. Next slide. Uh, so we really focus on uh, all of the addressing all of those things as much as possible, um, and looking for areas where we can have multiple benefits. So we're doing fuels management, but we're also doing it in a way that won't bring in new weed species, um, or we are making sure that we're checking to make sure that we're not introducing new weeds or um, other problems, and we're focusing on weeds as fuels so that we can remove that from the landscape. It's a benefit for weed control and for fuel reduction. And while we do that work, we're really careful to do biological surveys and monitoring of our most sensitive, valuable resources so that they aren't harmed by our work and that also that they're benefited by the work that we do. And so really just working towards that goal of a more resilient, healthy vegetation community, a healthy forest um, system. That's our goal. Next slide. So um, there are a lot of projects and maintenance sites throughout all, all of our preserves across the entire county. Um, it would be impossible for me to share them all with you today, but we uh, want to provide everyone the opportunity to know what those projects are and where they're happening. Um, so we have an online interactive map where anybody can look at the area that they're most interested in and see more details about the location and type of work happening there. Next slide. Um, I am just going to zoom in on a few of the big projects or big um, types of work that we are going to be focused on over the coming year. Um, and probably the most important and the biggest one of those is our defensible space areas. Um, as Max said, we have uh, lots of neighbors and backyards, um, 3,500 people living near our preserves. And so we want to work with them to help them achieve that defensible space around their home that is, is safer during a wildfire. 
uh, and we just finished a really big um, thorough assessment of all of the borders of our preserves to see what areas needed to be addressed. So we came up with 200 acres of defensible space that requires some sort of management on some sort of frequency. And um, during 2023, we were able to complete about 70% of those areas. And we just really wanna keep working each year to, to get that closer and closer to 100%. And some of the, most of those areas need annual treatment. So um, it really is a matter of treating all of them almost uh, every year and then adding additional ones each year and increasing our capability to get to more and more areas as the years go by. Next slide. And um, some of the projects that are really helpful in, in achieving this goal um, are these greater um, fuel break projects that are coordinated by our fire service partners and they really pass through uh, many of those defensible space areas. So it's a priority for the fire department and their fuel break project. It's also a priority for us in working with our neighbors. And so it really makes sense for us to partner with the fire departments to get this work done. Um, so we have the Greater Novato Shaded Fuel Break um, up in Novato. It's 60 miles long. And then we also have the Greater Ross Valley Shaded Fuel Break, which is 38 miles long um, in the San Anselmo, Corte Madera, Ross Valley area. And uh, the Novato fuel break um, passes through about 520 acres of our open space preserves, whereas the Ross Valley fuel break is going through 326 acres of our open space preserves. And we are working um, cooperatively with the fire departments to get that work done when it occurs on our lands. Um, for the Novato fuel break, it began just this last year and 160 acres of the whole project were completed. So that's still ongoing. And um, the Greater Ross Valley, I can't see the number <laughs> exactly on there, but um, it's, I think it's about 230. It's um, 240, <laughs> there you go. Um, thank you. It's, so 240 acres of that project is complete. So again, it's not fully complete and we continue to work on both of these projects going forward. Next slide. Um, so another really important project that we plan to be focused on this year is the San Rafael San Anselmo Fuel Reduction Zone project. And I am normally not a fan of acronyms because it's hard to know what the letters are supposed to mean. But uh, this one is just so whimsical to call it the Sersifers. Um So the Sersifers project uh, is along a ridge line in our Terra Linda Sleepy Hollow Preserve. Um, and it um, is between the communities of San Rafael and San Anselmo. So it really has this benefit for both sides um, of, of the community bordering this area. And it's a priority of our fire um, partners, particularly because there is a fire history here where um, we, we have had fires in the vicinity that could move into this area. And then there's, it's a, a grove of non-native eucalyptus trees where fuel is building up um, and we can see in the picture, there's uh, grass and brush that then transitions into shorter eucalyptus trees, brushy uh, re-sprouts of eucalyptus trees, um, and then a high density of small eucalyptus trees reaching up into the canopy. So there's that ability for a fire to move across the landscape quickly and then climb up into these trees and then um, be burning on a high ridge top um, between two communities. So this is really a priority for um, all, all of us to, to address this area. Next slide. 
Um, we have some really great mapping of the eucalyptus in the area. So in that map, we can see the red areas um, are on the very top of the slope, and that's within the preserve. So the red is eucalyptus within our preserve, and then the orange is the rest of the eucalyptus as you travel down the slope into other um, owner lands of other ownership. So um, this really is this partnership between uh, our agency and the Wildfire Prevention Authority, as well as the local fire agencies and those other adjacent property owners to, to address the full area. Um, next slide. Because we also have um, some really great mapping of the fuels. As I said, like our goal is to reduce those ladder fuels and make this uh, more resilient if, if a fire were to come through the area to make it less likely that that would uh, climb into the tops of the trees or be difficult to manage. And so um, in the map we're seeing here, we can see the blue area is a low ladder fuel area, and that's a place where we've been working for decades to maintain a low level of fuels. And we haven't been able to expand that work to the whole eucalyptus grove, but this project will allow us to, to expand that work and into these areas where we see medium and high fuels. Um, and I think a, a big um, priority of this project will be to address those high fuels areas, which are not on the preserve, they're farther down the slope. Uh, but also in the areas of medium fuels, we have native species. Because it's not as dense with eucalyptus, we have more native species persisting in those areas and they're not thriving. So our goal um, with this project is to help prom promote those native species that exist on site and to give them a little more room to grow and to thrive and ultimately to try to transition this area uh, from a non-native eucalyptus forest into something that's more like a native um, oak woodland or grassland community. And so this project should, should be a little bit familiar. I think I presented it here last year and we have been working on it over the past year in a kind of plan planning capacity. We've been doing public meetings, site walks um, and working on compliance and then um, there's actually, there was supposed to be a site walk tomorrow for the pilot project, um, but because of the impending weather conditions, um, that's been postponed to be determined. So if um, anyone's interested in going on a site walk to see the pilot project area, which will be lower on the slope in the orange um, high fuels zone, uh, that will be upcoming and the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority would be a good um, place to go searching for the, the date the, when we get a new date. Um, but after that site walk, there will be that pilot project potentially starting this February if con weather conditions allow and then moving into uh, work within the other areas um, on a larger scale starting this fall. Next slide. And I just wanted to address also the funding for all of this work. Um, it's all funded in part by Measure A, and we have a 25% set aside from our open space funding uh, of Measure A um, that is specifically for wildfire fuel reduction work like this. Um, and that's about $2.6 million each year. Um, and then in addition to that, we have additional open space funding that we use to fund seasonal work teams to buy the equipment needed to get this work done. Um, and that part of the program is really important uh, in regard to workforce development, really bringing people in at an entry level, teaching um, skills and, and uh, giving them training opportunities and also having a career ladder in place so those folks move up 
within our organization or um, within our partner agencies that we're partnering with, within the local fire service agencies, they get experience um, coordinating with these different partners as well. So they're well poised to kind of move, move around and move up in this line of work. Um, and then um, we also have the partner funds of our local fire agencies or the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority uh, in a project like that Ridgewood project to put our funds towards the portion in the preserve and put uh, local fire agency funds or MWPA funds towards the adjacent areas on, um, on other lands it allows us to really just do the whole project and not have to stop at some uh, arbitrary uh, political boundary that the, the vegetation does not see that boundary. So we're really happy to partner with those folks and their funding sources as well. And then finally, we have um, grants to support our work particularly in the realm of forest health. There's a lot of grant funding right now that's available. And we've just um, submitted a, we've developed and submitted um, a proposal for a CAL FIRE forest health grant um, in coordination with our one-tam partners. Next slide. Um, so the, the portion of that that is on our lands is about 80 acres. And we would come into that area twice with different treatment types and so it's 160 acres or so of treatment and it's really focused along the edges of fire roads to make those safer places um, during emergency during a wildfire for access um, but also to improve the resiliency of the forest in that area so that in a wildfire scenario it wouldn't have the same um, risk associated with it so we'd have a lower fuel situation along our fire roads um, so we were asking for a little over $500,000 as part of that grant, and then we'll match that with our funding. So that allows us to do uh, an almost $900,000 project, um, which will happen over the next six years if the grant comes through. Um, and as I said, it's a partnership proposal with Marin Water, State Parks, National Parks, and County Fire also have um, portions of the project. Because the grant has a 1,800 acre minimum um, size, so we are able to pool all of our work in the same realm of forest health within the region, pool it together, and create something that is eligible for this grant funding, um, and then work to get that done by 2030. So it's a almost seven million dollar uh, total grant project, and um, a lot of the partners are providing matching funds. So we'll be hoping to do that $12.7 million of work um, by 2030 if the grant is um, awarded. So it's a lot, of, a variety of different types of work from oak woodland restoration to uh, other types of fuels management, hand treatments, mechanical thinning, um, and managing the, the fuels through chipping or burn piles or doing prescribed fires. So there's a, a big variety of work involved in this grant. And I think, next slide, the last thing. Oh, just wanted to remind um, everyone of the kind of the timeline we're in. As far as our program of work overall, we're here in January um, providing this overview to you all of what we hope to focus on. Um, we've been over the last year discussing projects with our partners and asking them to bring those to us by January so that we can share those with you and incorporate them into our plans and into our budget our proposed budget. So what we're um, 
here today to, to just present all that to you and to ask for your input on the type of work that we do and the projects that we're planning to focus on. And then um, over the next couple months, we'll uh, take any additional input and um, make any revisions that we need to uh, and uh, bring you an update in March and be asking for uh, your recommendation to include this program of work in our budget for the next fiscal year. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we open it to public comment, I want to see if any commissioners had any specific questions. We'll come back and discuss the presentation after public comment. Do we have any questions? Yes. Uh, you can go first. Please. A uh, question, and, and, and it may just be terminology that I'm not understanding, but you've talked about um, the general philosophy of using fuel reduction to guide what it is that you're doing, particularly near residential areas. Is one of the tools in your toolbox also doing fire breaks? And I may be using the wrong terminology, but <coughs> it's, it's aimed at uh, fuel elimination versus uh, reduction. Um, we generally don't completely eliminate fuel from the landscape. Um, in conjunction with our, our fire department partners, we've um, kind of come to this realization that some fuel is okay on the landscape. It's a, an abundance of fuel that's dangerous. And so we're really working to get it to meet the CAL FIRE standards of, especially around a home, like how much fuel is okay. And it's not even just how much, but like what is the arrangement of the fuel? So it is okay to have trees. And we're generally working towards these shaded fuel breaks, if you saw that terminology as well. So uh, maybe a full fire break would have no trees, but a shaded fuel break has that overstory. And as long as those trees are well spaced, as long as there's not um, a large buildup of ladder fuels underneath them, then they are pretty resilient in a fire and they, are, they don't pose a hazard. And actually to the contrary, having that shade really helps keep excessive growth minimized underneath them because there's not as much sunlight, there's not as much vegetation growth on the ground and uh, also less weed issues. So keeping the overstory is, is generally beneficial, it keeps the air moist and uh, lower fuel buildup in general. That's a great clarification. So just a, a suggestion as you put together your plan, or you are putting together the plan, but as you go forward with the narrative that would accompany it, I think that'd be a great explanation to include. Having just gone through the, the San Rafael Fire Department doing its measure, their measure A, uh, inspections of homes, it really did cause a lot of consternation in the community as to what they were saying about fuel reduction, versus fuel elimination. So I think that'd be really helpful. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I concur. There's clearly uh, a fuel break doesn't, isn't a fuel break wall. <laughs> and uh, and uh, if you get a severe wildfire, like in the early 90s, the Oakland Hills fire, the fire was so severe it was became a firestorm, and what that means is actual storm, but it's fire instead of water, and the um, uh, it literally jumped Highway 24, <laughs> a 
and lit fires on the other side. So you can imagine the force of a fire storm. But a fuel break can be very beneficial for uh, uh, slowing down a fire, for uh, allowing staging areas for fire departments to enter into the wildlife area or, or fuel area. Uh, I did have a, uh, a question on the, you, you discussed the eucalyptus density issues and certainly eucalyptus, a non-native species here, uh, has, uh, those trees have high degrees of oil, which is a, you know, a burn issue. And also, um, they, uh, they have, they create, create an incredible amount of duff, uh, which is basically the bark of the eucalyptus breaking off and, and falling all over the place. So if you ever look at a big eucalyptus, you'll see it just seems like it's peeling constantly its bark, which is a fuel. So they are actually quite a dangerous tree uh, in terms of uh, uh, fire, fire threats. Um, but, uh, and another issue with eucalyptus is um, when you, if you remove eucalyptus by simply cutting them, uh, they're incredible, I, I used to call them uh, zombie trees. They just sprout. So if you cut a eucalyptus, you'll see, see eucalyptus sprouts all over the place around the ring of the tree. Uh, so they do, if they are cut, they do need a certain kind of treatment and there's a lot of science involved in that. And, and reducing, you know, damage from from the treatment, but um, but it's something to think about uh, because they are just a highly productive tree, and uh, and and whatever maintenance program you establish needs to be continued because they'll just come back, uh, and and unfortunately they tend to come back actually thicker, <laughs> so um, so it, they they are an issue. We're, we're kind of blessed here. We get a fair amount of rain in the North Bay, so it's not as bad as some other areas in the Bay Area that tend to be more dry and hot. Um, but uh, certainly uh, eucalyptus management is a whole another science. You're speaking our language, Pat. <laughs> That's like, I mean, I feel so thankful that Sarah's on our team and Nate and yeah. all, all oh, I know you all are, know that, but, yeah. But, you're, everything you're saying, agreed. And it turns out they don't make very good railroad ties, so, <laughs> and here we have them all. Um, thank you, Sarah. I, this is just more of a curiosity question because I, I know that the budget conversation's coming up, but how will this stack up if these grants, expected grants come in to last year or current year? What, what are we looking at as a, a growth budget and kind of on par with the growth of vegetation <laughs> requirement? Yeah, I mean, we did have um, a few grants over the last few years, and, and typically with these grants, they fund a project, like Pat said, there's a, uh, a, a lot of maintenance involved with retreating, especially some of these really tenacious invasive species that are causing a lot of fuel. So a lot of times with the grant uh, projects, we are seeking funding for a few years of treatment to get us through that initial phase and to get the, the follow-up treatments really um, done very well so that we can transition into a, a lower 
lower maintenance needs needs phase that we can fund through our budget. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little difficult to compare year to year just because of the grants covering multiple years of work. And similarly, this grant that we're hoping to get is for, like I said, the next six years of work. So. Um, there may be additional grant, there will be <laughs> inevitably additional grant opportunities over the next six years, and we will continue to um, identify project areas and apply for funding um, to, to add to this grant if, if it does come through. But yeah, I, I guess I would say it's, it's comparable that like every year we're trying to get additional grant funding and um, usually some of those projects are successful and then hold us for a few years while we uh, gain additional grant funding. Good. I, I appreciate that and you know out in the community kind of that summarized number becomes a very valuable number in a lot of areas including you know the insurance conversations we're having with providers that you know we as a county such and such million dollars is going into this thing and that's a number that type of effort and number is going to become more and more important as we go through especially on the insurance angles but all the way up through the legislation on who's doing what and how much and um, so I appreciate that you know there are a little granular situations in that but we need well and one of the cool number. things about this part of our budget is like we're it's I don't even know I don't know if there's anywhere else where we're so clear about how much we're planning to spend and what you know what goes where like we are required by measure a to pay, play, to pay 25% of 65% that comes to parks on fuels reduction every year that's about 2.6 million so we know that our our baseline that we're going to spend every year on fuels reduction is, I mean, it'll grow grow and shrink with the sales tax, but uh, right now it's 2.6 million. And our focus for that money is maintaining defensible space next to neighborhoods and clearing along fire roads. And so that's why, like Sarah mentioned, we put a lot of work into figuring out what are all those places and how are we doing on it? Because it's our biggest single expenditure. And so we want to be able to say, like we know now, we're about 70, we, we're maintaining about 70%. And so we want to keep sort of being able to increase that amount. The other piece is places where either through our forest health strategy or through a partnership with fire, our partners are working with us to identify where to take a bigger swing that's where it's coming from grants or from the MWPA or other partners. We're saying we're going to use our money to make sure we're maintaining defensible space because we know that our neighbors, that's their priority, the communities we serve. But our, if our partners want us to do more, we're totally happy to do that as long as money's attached to it. Yep. And I, I, at MWPA, I'll also have kind of that set dollar coming as well. Those numbers of 70% and 240 acres of 320, those are very impressive and really will play well in the community conversation too when we're looking at, you know, the cost of not having those. So thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, I just want to commend staff for seeking grants with CAL FIRE and, and other partnerships because taking that holistic view uh, of, of the property, not just having them particular political boundaries, but it's you know, it, it's his own environment, and it needs to be addressed like that. And I think you're doing a commendable job doing that and getting other organizations involved. So uh, it, it is really a great thing about our staff is uh, having that viewpoint and uh, moving forward with, uh, you know, aggressive grants to address these issues. 
Sir, I too commend you for an excellent presentation. I have two quick questions before we then open it up for comments, and I'll have some follow-up comments later. I would say, Max, that I always appreciate in past meetings having printouts because I could then take notes because I can't always follow uh, the numbers, which leads me to my, my first question is maybe you could just quickly uh, go over again the 300 acres and how that relates to the 80 acres that were, you talked about later. Um, the, it was the 80 acres just related to the fuel breaks. I was a little confused about those two numbers. And there was another number for Novato, but uh, the 300 I remember is Ross Valley, and then you brought up the 80 acres. So just not. I think um, what, yeah, I think I remember that um, the 80 acres is specifically what the, the project areas that we've identified for the forest health grant funding. Okay. So that is actually separate from all of our defensible space and those fuel breaks that go along the edges of our preserves. Uh, this is a different type of work that's along fire roads. So, um, right. it, yeah, that will be funded by the grant, whereas the fuel breaks are, you know, jointly funded by us when it's on our lands and when it's in our neighbors' backyards, and then also the continuation of that fuel break. Uh, that's actually a really important point is that, you know, we've only recently entered this area where these air, where these fuel breaks are actually continuing and connecting from our lands onto other lands adjacent and, and continuing so that it forms a solid fuel break area. Um, you know, we only have the ability to manage our own little piece of that, but the whole fuel break is only gonna be effective if everybody continues to do their part even after it leaves our land, so. It might be good to have a graphic on that so that when you're presenting to the board, they can follow that visually. And my second quick question had to do with the workforce development. Maybe you could just give me some numbers. Are you actually going to be doing some hiring, some interns, and what are uh, some of the staffing specifics? Yeah, um, just generally we have a number of seasonal staff that work um, and, you know, across all of all of our different work teams um, in and contribute to the work that we do. But particularly our like our natural resource management staff, we have a seasonal team of folks. So they, they're, these are entry level positions. Um, I don't know the exact number. <laughs> um, I want to say something like eight. But maybe eight next to, time, I think. Yeah, we be can good present more about have that. Some, yeah, have some workforce mm -hmm. numbers. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this in a prior meeting, but the. Um, you know, the really other really cool thing about fuels reduction is that it takes a lot of work. A lot of our workforce development is also through partnerships. So Conservation Corps North Bay is a workforce training organization that we partner with to do the, a lot of this work. Yes. And their core members end up going on to becoming our seasonal staff and eventually our rangers and eventually working their way up to, to do this work. Additionally, we also help fund a crew um, with County Fire and also partnership with CCMB called- uh, Fire Foundry. Fire Foundry, thank you. Which is similar, it's also a Conservation Corps North Bay crew, except the typical cr Conservation Corps North Bay crews are folks working, they're 18 to 25 year olds who are working on getting their high school diploma. So they work four days in the field and on Fridays they have uh, high school education uh, and they complete a year and get 
experience, job training, and also their high school diplomas. The Fire Foundry team are all high school graduates and they're enrolled in College of Marin courses. While they're going out to do fuels reduction, they're also taking fire courses so that they can go on to careers in the fire service. Um, but all of them are also about diversity, equity, inclusion, broadening the scope of who's doing these jobs. I think that's terrific. It'd just probably be good when you present again to the board uh, to have some of those numbers available. I'd now like to open up the uh, microphone to uh, any public comment here, people uh, present in the audience who'd like to say something about this presentation. Okay, see, seeing none, I then ask, are there any online comments in the queue? Yes. Yes, Nana Dennis, please unmute. Okay, hi, thanks, thanks very much. That was a great presentation, sir. Um, my, my a clarification and also a question. Uh, the clarification uh, <clears throat> the difference between fuel break and fire breaks. I think expressly in your discussion, I think it's important that there is a profound difference between a fuel break and a fire break. We have watched huge fires like the Calvary fire in process, that a fire break is what they do, what they have to do during the course of the fire. And there's no, there's no stop the, the spread of the fire. The fuel break, uh, and what's so important about it, to nuance to it, the shape can be designed to habitat resources. And I just think that's kind of an important is coming up with the use of the term to that's so that's the other one is also on the, the, the permitting the compliance secret compliance and so forth uh, you, WPA is using the uh, the VT sequence needs is compliance needs uncertified you're doing huge amounts of work and I know that you're doing I don't know just exactly how you're handling this question and Max or Sarah could you respond to the second one I think the first one was also important to make a clear distinction between the the fire break and the fuel break concept so that they can be more clearly understood in relation to your doing and I think Nona's second question I defer to one of you to maybe answer I want to make sure were there other speakers in the queue or that's it there are, there are no additional speakers in the queue 
Thank you. So, yeah, we, you know, um, and gosh, I don't know. I'm not the expert on, you know, I'm sure Michelle could, if we wanted to give a lot more sort of background of our specifics of our CEQA compliance, but um, for those big fuel break projects, a lot, most of the work's not on our land. And so uh, MWPA is the lead in planning those projects, utilizing whatever approach that they, they utilize. Um, and, uh, and then, so they're the lead agency, but because there's a component on our land, we, are, we wanna do our due diligence above and beyond just to make sure that the approach is correct and that we've investigated the project on our own land. And so we also bring the projects for approval to our own board um, and, and investigate it. And then additionally, we're always out there sort of doing a lot of uh, pre-work to understand the vegetation and wildlife what's going on in our preserves, and then before any work happens out there doing wildlife surveys and uh, monitoring the work and understanding, making sure that it's all happened correctly. Did I miss anything? I think just that um, clarification that uh, Nona mentioned that the Vegetation and Biodiversity Management Plan is not a com uh, an approved compliance uh, document. It's not, it's, there's no EIR associated with it, so, um, our general procedure is to do project-specific compliance. So every time we have a project, we analyze that uh, independently um, and do the compliance needed for each project as we move forward. And, and then, yes, in addition, like Max mentioned, we also partner with, uh, uh, with these other um, larger projects. And if they're doing compliance, sometimes we are part of that process. I think that what might be then helpful is to uh, list for those projects the status of CEQA. Is it draft? Has it been, uh, this EIR been certified? Just so people, for the record, could, if they had specific questions about projects, they would know where the CEQA review is and where they could go. It just might be helpful information for people to have. I certainly do understand the uh, exemption that you're saying for this overall vegetation management program. Yeah, thanks. And those Greater Nevada Shade Field Break and Greater Ross Valley Shade Field Break, those, the CEQA process is complete. Those have been adopted. The, the San Rafael one, did it just go to our board or is it gonna? 23rd. 23rd, okay. So it was, it's already been approved by the MWPA board, I think, and it goes to our board for approval on the 23rd. Just to confirm that we don't have any other speakers online, nor anything, so we'll close the public comment period and bring it back to the commission for any um, final comments or questions. Any other comments yeah. from Joe? I then have a few on my list that I wanted to go over. Um, first, as you go, go forward, I think it would be helpful to be a little clear on the kind of outreach that you're doing with homeowners, letting them know what you're doing and what kinds of things you're doing and the conversations you've had with uh, cities. I mentioned earlier, uh, be good to have some numbers on the staffing and workforce development. Uh, one subject you didn't talk about and I think is important 
is the relationship between fire uh, and vegetation management and flooding, flooding potential? And you didn't mention the flood control agency as a partner. I know in Ross Valley, for example, the county has a model, uh, and I would uh, w wonder whether you uh, talk to the flood control people and the modelers to see whether the vegetation clearance is being built in because obviously as you remove fuel break, you might have more um, uh, surface flooding occurring because there's not the vegetation to allow for um, the, the water to seep in, but you'll have more runoff. And I uh, just wondered if you've uh, worked with flood control and seen whether there are any downstream effects or that they built in the uh, correct assumptions about runoff coefficients that reflect what you're doing. Um, yeah, that's a, a really good point about the potential effects of the loss of vegetation. Um, and I think that that isn't one of the reasons why we want to kind of preemptively do the work that will reduce the impact of a potential of a wildfire in the future, that we would ideally not be seeing the complete loss of vegetation and that risk of uh, runoff. Um, both the, the flood risk, but also the kind of the water quality effects and uh, on our drinking water, on our um, wildlife as well. So those are all things that we are uh, concerned about. Um, and really, the, our goal is to strategically remove, uh, like, re like I said, reduce the vegetation only enough to get the fuel um, into a, a safer level, and that is um, not so much as to affect the runoff. So we're really careful about creating the least amount of disturbance in these areas and leaving plenty of vegetation um, to hold the, hold the soils in place and to, to have um, infiltration be unaffected by the work. So I, I would just yeah. ask that you Make, uh, talk to the flood control if you've not, and uh, ask specifically about their model assumptions and whether any of the work they're now doing, which is coming to the fore relating to the um, specific concerns that the town of San Anselmo has, and they're wanting to move out of the district. So I think being clear that if they are a partner, mention them and that you're talking to them. Yeah, we work closely with the flood control district in a lot of different ways, and we can we will definitely follow up with them about this. I can tell you though that one really cool, you know, thinking about the science of how what's the effect of this work, being part of our one TAM partnership, uh, the water Bryn Water did a lot of really cool research with the U.S. Forest Service on doing different fuels treatments and looking at water infiltration uh, and what was really cool was that they found that doing some of this fuels work, and of course, important to remember that our landscape, the work that we're doing is more like restoration than, you know, something poor, bad for the landscape, right? This, the landscape evolved with fire, evolved with some of these changes, and so, and we're removing invasive species, but that doing some of this fuels work actually allowed the ground to accept more water and for the you know water retention and water conservation to be improved by some of the improvements to the forest structure that was happening through this work so it's kind of um it's almost it might seem almost counterintuitive but 
some of this work may even be better for, you know, sinking, spreading the, the water. But we'll, we will for sure That's follow up with our partners at Flood it's Control. It's great to hear. I just didn't see it covered as one of the benefits. And I yeah. think that the last uh, area I wanted to know more about has to do with the um, uh, vegetation materials that you are removing. Are you composting them? What are you doing with them? And I think talking about that w would be helpful as well. And that also may feed into some of the other programs, the FARE, the FAR program, and the, uh, you know, what is the use of these materials. And I think trying to explain that to people would be good information. Yeah, I know there's a lot of work being done in, in our region, in the county, towards, you know, sustainable use of, of the materials and, you know, ways that we can um, improve the, way, the ways that we manage those fuels and remove them from the landscape. Um, and right now we, we do a variety of things. Um, and, you know, from pile, burning piles, which uh, is a much lower emissions strategy than waiting for a wildfire to burn all the fuels. So some of it is pile burning, some of it is chipping. Some areas that fuel is far enough away from um, anything of, of, you know, any homes that it, we're able to leave it on the landscape as long as we've uh, changed the relationship of the fuels to each other and, and uh, made them not continuous. So we do a variety of, of things in that regard. And, and we're also excited to be um, partnering with the fire departments and there's a local ecologically sound practices group that's really trying to develop these um, new ways to deal with fuels through like air curtain burners where we're creating um, usable materials and with the least amount of um, emissions essentially. So we are hoping on the eucalyptus project that we do get to test some of those or try some of those uh, techniques that we haven't used in the past. And they're not possible everywhere, but um, we're hoping that's a project where with our partners and uh, because of that, the landscape position and um, the fact that we're gonna have a lot of large fuel, fuels on that project that we might be able to utilize some of those other techniques, so yeah. That's very helpful, thank you very much. East Bay Regional Parks has a really cool uh, biochar. Uh, <laughs> uh, this really cool thing, it's like creates biochar, it's like a, it just looks like a giant debris box or something, but it burns in this like really efficient way, the wood that comes out of their fuels work and turns it into this biochar, this like really stable, you know, carbon material that can get integrated into the soil and it's good for holding onto water and it also doesn't degrade very rapidly, so takes carbon out of the atmosphere and Keeps it. Maybe that could go into the community garden program and things there like that. There you go. Or yeah. sometimes it just goes back onto the site as part yes. of the restoration yeah. of the site. So if, if we get a chance to um, utilize some of those those newer technologies in this these upcoming projects, we'll definitely uh, document that and bring it back to show you all. Thank you again on behalf of the commission and I look forward to your final presentation in, uh, I think it's March, is that you, right, Max? Okay, moving on then to the next uh, item. It's the volunteer program presentation. Uh, I think this is you, Max, again. Well, this is uh, Kirk and Greg. I'll just give a quick intro and then I'll hand it over to them. Um, you know, I really love our whole team, but 
these are two of my most favorite people in the world, and um, they run our volunteer programs, and they're going to tell you all about it. This is one of the really cool things that we do in our department, um, and it makes a huge impact on our parks, but it also makes a huge impact on people. And we get to go out once a year as a whole team and do like a team work day um, with these guys and uh, out at Kent Island in Bolinas. And it's like one of my favorite days of the whole year. And I feel like that's just a taste of what it's like to be a volunteer and work with our team is just having a really fun, impactful uh, day. So I'll turn it over to Greg and Kurt. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Max. Adjust. I might need to adjust this a little bit. Okay. So I'm, I'm Kirk Schroeder, Volunteer Program Coordinator. This is Greg right here next to me, my long longtime colleague and partner in, in running the volunteer program. Um, first slide here is uh, our highlights. That's a picture from this summer. Park School walked over to Bothine Marsh, and we removed invasive, invasive species with them. That's one of our seasonal assistants there who is assisting us with that day. So good, good, good note to start off on with the presentation. We have a lot of ground to cover. We're going to try to be pretty efficient here today and start by just explaining, um, you know, there's two of us, two volunteer program coordinators. I, myself, I focus on working with volunteers in our parks, our landscape service areas, and our multi-use pathways. And I work in the open spaces. So, you know, our 34 preserves, 16,000 acres, and uh, our, our volunteers, you know, do work that, that all, all of our staff do. So you know the the volunteers pretty much mimic you know what our, what our staff do, uh, does. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna delve into that, but you know uh, we won't get into a couple of the programs that we don't that our that parks and open space don't have in common, and those are uh, our ambassador programs. We have a patrol volunteer program. It was the first one started in 1979. We have a uh, we have trail watch, we have mountain patrol, and uh, and bike patrol uh, folks who are out there kind of like a neighborhood watch on our open space. And so that's one program. And then uh, we also have um, two or newer programs, which are docent programs. And so those are education programs. We have volunteers out on Ring Mountain uh, educating people about the wildflowers there. And then we also have um, uh, docents that are out in Cascade Canyon uh, telling people about the uh, yellow-legged frogs and educating people about that. So, but the, the next programs that we're going to get into that Kirk's going to dive into are ones that we have a lot in common. Absolutely. So just real quick, uh, we've, uh, we're offering a lot of current photography for you all. We've had a busy year, and I just want to quickly touch on the slides as we go. So um, on the left was the post-Marin County Fair cleanup I've been doing every year for over 10 years, and we had about 20 volunteers. And uh, we, we try to make our events strategic based on the needs of the sites and the seasons and community access. So, so that was great. And then on the right is a recent day that Greg did out at Roy's Redwood. So we heard a lot about the vegetation and biodiversity management program. And the things you see up there is all integrated with, with those goals. So next slide. Um, we've come a long way since um, the start of COVID-19 and having to adapt to the the changes that affected us all. Um, that was the, the, the first year of that. We saw a decrease in volunteerism. However, you know, we, we, we maintained a lot of activity across a lot of our programs. And currently, we've been really going full steam at, at pre-pandemic levels. So you can see over 20,000 volunteer hours, over 4,000 hours. That's between Greg and I and our colleagues um, throughout the county. Um, next slide. Oh, um, yeah, so let me back up real quick. Um, we 
I want to touch on this a little bit. How did we get 21,000 volunteer hours? That's a lot of hours. Um, I mentioned Greg and I and our respective programs and our colleagues. One of the beautiful things about our work is that we really get to work with the community as a whole. So many different components of the community we'll touch on, but also within our own department. We have um, Greg and I, we work with our supervisor here, Samantha Hamovich. She's one of our superintendents, and she oversees our volunteer program, helps us um, with, our, with our programming. But we also work with the supervising park rangers in our regional parks, the park rangers who work sort of underneath those supervisors, um, the open space ranger staff, the natural resource management staff, our planners. It really goes from the top down and, and kind of um, across the department. So um, it's not just Greg and I doing all of that on our own. We really work as a team with Marin County Parks and the community. Okay, so next slide, we're diving in. Community events is, is, is a big component of that. We are running events on weekends throughout the year, and those are meant to be drop-in friendly. We do get registration online, but we really gear those projects to be accessible to all kinds of folks. Um, so that's, um, Greg does Saturday programs, I'm doing Sunday events. Move on, next slide. That was McGinnis Park, by the way, a tree planting project from a few years ago. And this was a couple months back at Stafford Lake Bike Park. Um, we've done monthly events at the bike park throughout this year, um, or last year, and we'll continue with that this year. Last year was our most successful year in terms of volunteerism at the bike park. It really took a a little bit of work to sort of build up um, the stewardship component and get some returning folks. But we really, you can see in the photo there, I mean, there's like 20 people. We've, we're just working really hard out there and making great progress. Next slide. So yeah, Kent Islands is what, one of the projects I do from April through, uh, through um, November. And uh, we get a, a broad, you know, variety of community from out there, and then also folks that are regular volunteers. And so, um, so we have uh, we do a, com a combination of community events where we have those on the calendar: first Friday, third Saturday. Come out and join. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. You get out. You know, you take we take a, a rowboat ride right out. You know, just right across, and we're doing uh, restoring the uh, the island and uh, Sand Dune Cap Flood Shoal Island. We also get school groups. We had Belina Stinson Elementary coming out, and they've adopted it, and we've had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of the, the kids come out, you know, over, over the, the, last, you know, the last couple years. And so, you know, I get to know the, them in the community. Now they, they come by, and they see me, and they, they yell out. And so uh, we also have our staff comes out, and Greater Fairlawns has, has been involved in this project. And uh, we get our volunteers to come out, like Max was saying. We all come out and join as a team. And there's that, there's that strength in that, that community that builds up. And there, there's just that, that power that comes from, from people getting together and doing work together. Next slide. All right, Hal Brown Park. This has been my kind of my baby is what I call it, but it's been a habitat restoration project at Hal Brown Park at Creekside. We're entering our 14th year now, and that was planting from just last month. Um, we're, we're pretty far along with the project. We've developed a, a, a very successful sheet mulching technique, and now using plants from our native plant nursery right here at the Civic Center. Um, this year we've got milkweed installed for the first time, so we're excited to see um, see that develop at, at the site. Next, next slide, please. 
Yeah, so here's a, a great, this was actually in the Marin IJ, you know, we do, we do trail work. So our volunteers are involved in our trails. So as we're, we're planning these trails, they get a chance to, to be involved in the construction of them. So it's, a, it's very exciting. People really, when they see these things happening in their community, they want to get involved. This is that opportunity. And we have people who are, you know, from, you know, from young kids all the way up to people in their 80s, you know. So, so um, it's just amazing what we can do, you know, as a team. So this is, this is uh, the Memorial Trail, uh, soon to be Eagle Rock up on Terra Linda. Next slide. Okay, um, so uh, at the beginning I mentioned about the 21,000 hours. I talked about how we work with our various staff members. I want to just quickly rattle off sort of the, um, the other mechanisms we have for generating, you know, volunteer activity. And so service, service learning is part, is part of that. It's a big part. We, we partner with public schools and private schools throughout the county. Um, and we have relationships that we maintain from year to year. Um, we, we talked about community events as well. Um, there's, a, there's several others that we didn't make slides for, but I just want to quickly mention. We do what we call special events or partnering with, with, with private groups. So that could be a corporate group. It could be the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, faith-based groups. Um, Rotary clubs, service clubs, like people will come to us and request projects and we will work to identify what a good fit is gonna be. So service learning is, is one part of that. Um, next slide. Um, this was uh, a Measure A community grants program, the Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center. I had the privilege of working with this group last summer and we did a um, kind of a high some trash pickup and some habitat restoration, sort of broke that up into two different projects and interspersed the day with um, talking points, doing some interpretive work and providing some education. And to me, I, I really saw this as a, you know, as an, a truly underserved community. You could tell it was a really different experience, some of these students, from what they might get in their day at public school or wherever they go to school. And it, we really made a great impact. We had several hours with them and it was a real highlight for me in, in my career that day. This is an example of what I talked about, Mitzvah Day is Congregation Road of Shalom. Their um, synagogue is just down the street, and we've been working together for over 20 years. Um, we were supposed to do three projects in October, on uh, the 22nd of October, but we had rain that day, and we just did the one, and... We got rewarded with a rainbow at the end of the day after the group worked on mulching despite the rain. So it was, it was kind of a feel-good moment. Sometimes those challenges make it even more fun <laughs> with the environmental <laughs> factors. Uh, okay, next slide. All right, so this is a great example. Pat, you mentioned uh, rotaries. And this was, uh, this was uh, we, have a, we have an annual you know, day that we work with the Rotary here at, at uh, Lagoon Park. And one of, the, uh, one of the Rotarians said, hey, we've got this grant funding that we can do to, to and we want to work on a project together. And so, uh, and so you know, we had just this, I had this thought, you know, let's, let's do pollinator planting. There's, a, there's you know, we, we want to, you know, attract monarchs to, you know, and, and expand on, on the area that, that somebody had already been working on a project there. So they funded the entire project. We got the Rotarians out there and, uh, and we got the local community out there and master gardeners and uh, we grew the plants here at our, our nursery at, uh, at, Civic, at Civic Center here, Lagoon Park, and we planted uh, over 600 plants and they're thriving out there. So those, you know, we actually even had a, a visitation from a monarch. Next slide. 
Well, so this one, yeah, yeah this one is, uh, is, is I, I, wa I want to talk about the, the connections. So this is about, you know, how our community gets connected and these ideas, things that happen. And uh, this is about our, we have an environmental stewardship program. And uh, this is, uh, this right here, this photo, uh, we'll, we'll go back, I'll, I'll talk, our first stewardship program uh, is, is the Broom Busters, our original uh, Broom Busters are from 1996, so almost 30 years going on. Uh, and they started this where they, they got together, let's take care of this place, old St. Hillary's. Let's, you know, now that we've got it, let's take care of it. And, uh, and so that model, you know, has inspired other people. The guy on the left right there, uh, Phil Sauter, is, uh, is he, he liked the idea so much, he said, you know what, I want to do this in San Geronimo. So they now pull broom. I was working with them earlier today. They pull broom every Thursday in, in San Geronimo. They, they call themselves the, uh, the broom service. So they the San Geronimo broom service, like the broom busters. And, uh, and that he was part of the, uh, the IPM, you know, uh, commission, and he could, would come to the meetings. He inspired uh, uh, Rika uh, Gopinath, who was part of that commission, and she wanted to start her own group called the, the Terra Linda um, Broom Club. And so she started right up on, in that fuel break area that they were talking about. She started that, the Broom Club. And uh, John Scott was, was hiking by, found out about the group, joined, and, uh, and when Rika couldn't lead, he took over the leadership. That's the guy in the middle. And, uh, and he, you know, uh, Dan Faust, who's on the right, started joining later, and he liked the idea, liked working with us. He still does work with us, but he said, you know what, I want to do this next to my house in, in San Rafael, but it's on city property. So he had the city contact me to talk to, you know, about how do we do this. And so the city took on that, that thing, and now they're working with Dan and doing Weed Wrench Wednesdays. So these are all programs that, you know, that are community-run, and they're, you know, the, the people lead them. We work with them. We, we give them, you know, tea and cookies. You know that kind of thing, and and, and and you know just just keep them going for for weekly days. So Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and then you know we've got other groups that come out regularly almost every week. Next slide. And you know those go beyond the the the, the work. They, they actually people form these connections, these bonds. This, this group right here is our, our Terra Linda Broom Club, and now they have quarterly parties where they get together. They're friends. You know, one of, one of them had to go to the hospital. The other one, uh, the other, there was a couple that's a, a part of that that took them, you know, took that person to the hospital. They become friends. They, they, that's, there's the strength and community that they take care of each other, not only the land. You know, there's that, that fostering of, 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 you know, goodwill building. Next slide. All right, and so this was our most recent volunteer appreciation picnic. Our, our first time hosting it at Paradise Beach Park. This was back in October. Um, we were blessed with just the most perfect weather day you could ever ask for, and I think the community, our community of volunteers was really in high spirits. Um, this was a collaborative event with One Tam, so we were co-hosting with Marin Water and the folks from One Tam, um, and just, just a great day. I mean, I think it goes back to Greg's point about the connections. These are a lot of folks that we've worked with for many years that, you know, they're friends with each other, they're friends with us, or we have that sort of friendly dynamic. And, you know, going back just briefly with that last point uh, about stewardship, you know, there's the, there was a bullet point about shared passions and commitments. And I've always loved that in terms of the work Greg and I do, because I know in our mission statement, there's a line in there about shared commitments. And it really kind of touches on the art our relationships with the community, which Greg and I, of course, have many. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll move it on. I think we're just about at the end here. Looking ahead, um, there's, there's a lot in the works. We're, we're staying busy. Um, I wanted to quickly back up because I forgot when I was mentioning about all those 21,000 hours. There was a few other things there. Um, we have the Trail Watch and Mounted Patrol that Greg mentioned, the docent programs. 
Um, we also have a, a, a substantial <laughs> collaboration with the probation department, the adult offender work program. Our regional parks are getting a lot <laughs> And those are sometimes long, longer term commitments, sometimes they're shorter, but that could be anywhere from planning for projects and then I have an intern one day a week right now it's a brand new program it's a senior, so it's great to have that flexibility of a small crew sometimes to um, to go um, carry forth so we're looking at here we've got you know both in marsh sea level rise adaptation we talked about that earlier today we've been working hard on invasive species removal there um, and more work at, you want to talk about the nurse? We do about what we do. We want everybody to have the opportunity to get into, you know, parks and open space. And so we realize that not everybody's going to be pulling broom on a hillside. So we have, a, we have a nursery, you know, I mentioned that. And, and you can see on that left that we have a partnership with, uh, with master gardeners, with other folks, and it's, it's ADA, it's uh, accessible. It's, you know, you can go in there and, and for people who aren't going to be able to, to, to climb up that hill, they can plant a plant that's going to get planted on that hill. And so that's part of what we're looking at. We're looking at ways to get more people involved and, and we have have, you know, we have a program now that we're that we're starting, that we're that we're getting into, that we want to. We realize that you know that the that the private schools have, you know, transportation. They have you know a lot more access and, and ability to get out on field trips. And we realize through the pandemic, there there are um, uh, schools are taking less field trips. We want to decrease some of the barriers, and we know transportation is one. So we're looking at a uh, a grant program where we can we we can uh, offset some of the costs for you know for buses, you know, five hundred to a thousand dollars to try to get more the public schools out. Um, you know, we, we are lucky that we're, we're close to these, you know, our, we're, we're accessible, we're close to a lot, of, a lot of schools that we can get people just to walk down the street, and we do. Uh, but we want to increase that. Uh, we also were we were because we have so many programs Saturday and Sunday. We were a lot of times attracting, you know, uh, the community groups. <laughs> to uh, weekends, we have this they have uh, they have youth that are on probation that are coming out and getting work experience and uh, one of the youth <laughs> is interested in uh, in uh, applying with us and so he's going to um, uh, apply for a seasonal position. So we are doing that. We're looking towards the future, and we want everybody to be involved because there is, you know, in this community, there is strength, and, and, uh, and it's, it's through our parks and open. That's it. Any questions? Well, it's our last slide. <laughs> that was excellent. Uh, do we have questions from the commissioners? Not just fantastic programs. And what a variety of programs Greg and Kirk are overseeing so uh and you're really you know for the uh for the agency you're you're the ones that are out there making connections with the communities and so that there's a lot of strength in the whole uh agency uh because of what you're doing it's much appreciated I, I was just gonna again thank you um, but also, uh, I'm very jazzed about hearing about all this philosophically, as I've said time and time again. Sorry, Max. You know, the future of the parks is in our youth. It's in greater diversity. It's also in the elderly. It's all segments of the community. And what you all are doing is certainly 
It's great for the longevity of the parts because it keeps people involved in them and committed to them. So bravo, thank you. I, I too uh, join the commissioners in thanking you, um, but I, I do have a couple specific questions and comments. Uh, first, uh, and, and I apologize if you may already be doing this, but are we highlighting all these opportunities on the uh, County Parks website? Yeah, the, the website has been a really great vehicle for us in terms of recruitment, and we're promoting our programs on there. There is content that you can look at some okay. of those marquee projects that we we touched on, but the, the online calendar has been huge for us in terms of promoting our opportunities and kind of helping us with organization, preparing for people. Uh, how big is a group gonna be when they come out to this event? A lot of that traffic is going through the website. And is it bilingual? Um, I'm not sure about that. Um, if you, if it isn't, I would encourage you to try and uh, do a little bit of that to increase the ability to provide outreach to the canal and other non-English speakers. We have some measures in place there, some accessible. Um, That'd be good. My second suggestion is, and I uh, am not reading all of the supervisors' aides newsletters every month, but I would really encourage you to try to spend some time with the aides, and we do have a new supervisor with some new aides who came to the Christmas uh, luncheon and was very interested in running stories about what we're doing. So I would encourage you, there's just so much we heard today, but each supervisor's aides might pick up on one or two stories and that might be helpful in terms of both explaining to everyone about the 21,000 hours, but also reaching out to people who may not know of those opportunities and may not have gone there, but do follow the uh, newsletters from the, uh, each of the supervisorial districts. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about the ambassador program and whether you're specifically going out to the canal and to Marin City. So um, the, uh, the ambassador program is, is really specific. So the, uh, if we're talking about the patrol volunteer program, those are typically people who are out there hiking regularly. And so they're, they're the people who are out there in, uh, uh, on a pretty much weekly basis going out and, and inspecting trails and things like that. And so they are then reporting. So what we do is we train them. So they're already out there doing this. And so they come across things that are trees that are down. They come across, you know, signs that are vandalized. They come across, you know, issues that we're seeing and they're reporting to our ranger staff. They have, there's a patrol reporting website that they, that they input their, their patrols into. And that way it helps inform the rangers. The rangers are in direct communication with them. So that's, that's the ambassador program. We also have the, the docents who are out and that's very specific to wild, you know, flowers on Ring Mountain. So uh, it's seasonal. Uh, to get out there when the wildflowers are blooming, and then the the uh, the, uh, the yellow-legged frogs too. It's seasonal uh, in Cascade Canyon. That sounds terrific too, um, and uh, I'm just extremely impressed with all of these things. The last thing I'd leave you with, and we've mentioned this at uh, a couple of other presentations, is when there are opportunities, when you have a program, you know, you'll put our Parks and Rec uh, sign up and make sure you also give some visibility to Measure A because we do want to make people feel that Measure A is, uh, is doing things that they appreciate and 
So that's just a little uh, suggestion, but uh, I know that Max has picked up on it, and it, it will help in terms of developing the brand, as we say. Thank you again for coming down and for such a tremendous presentation. We're on questions right now. Of yes. staff. Yeah, okay. I stop comments. Oh, well, after we do public comment. Exactly. I would now open uh, the comment uh, up to those in the audience. Seeing none, I would now ask if there are any online comments. Yes, Nala Dennis, please unmute. programs which absolutely I hope that we can can have a kind of reprise of this for a from the conservation organization Out of obviously, but and it is absolutely spectacular. Uh, not just the work itself, but the connections, as you point out, to the community, and then and then the connections that go very much. And, and congratulations. Any other speakers in the queue? There are no additional speakers in the queue. Hearing no additional speakers, I then close the public comment section and bring it back to the commission for any final remarks. Um, thank you, thank you guys, both appreciate it. Um, Greg, I don't remember, we did a project together on Mothin, Mothin, sorry, Mothin Marsh a couple years ago. Our company uh, had a little challenge out there, we had about 30 of us. And it was, it was excellent and I think something we kind of missed today is it was more than just a volunteer program and us getting involved. We learned a ton because you were giving such a great breakdown of all the things that are in the marsh, how they interact, why we're taking the weed that I've already forgotten out. Um, and um, we, I, I had some of my colleagues talk about it for long after that. And, and we had two names because we had a competition and we took that so seriously that um, we're willing now, we've been practicing and we're willing to take on any of the elementary schools <laughs> and, and challenge them. Head to head, you know, okay. yeah. those, those fourth graders can pull. <laughs> but thank you for making that special. It was a great time for us and it was a great event, so thank you. Hearing no other comments, again, I, th I thank you for coming and look forward to more reports over the coming uh, meetings and years, but great job, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Max, we're now at the um, volunteer commission assignment question, and I, uh, or Craig, is this one you're going to take the so, lead on? Yes, I'm gonna go ahead and jump in on it. Chris Chamberlain, assistant director, and that's certainly a tough act to follow. Um, I just I just wanna say I've, I've had the, the great fortune to have known Kirk and Greg for, it's been over 20 years now, and we're, I just cannot tell you how fortunate we are to have those two leading our volunteer program and the, the value and what they, what they do for our organization and for this community is nothing short of amazing. All right, uh, so with that, I'm gonna lead the way here with um, 
this volunteer assignment. So, so really, we're at the beginning of the calendar year. We've got some new commissioners or some commissioners that are in their first or second meeting. And what we do each year is we, we like to find opportunities both from our staff perspective on where we could use some support and also where you as commissioners can go even beyond your, your traditional role of showing up at the meetings and reviewing and, and participating in the meetings, but also engaging in some of the work that we do. So with that, um, you know, we, we're trying to provide a, a menu, if you will, of some options and some opportunities for you all to um, get engaged. And what, what the item before you here is really is a, a, we're looking at seven items. One of the items actually is really already resolved because it was an earlier item on the agenda, which uh, was the assignment to the Measure A Oversight Committee. Um, which Commissioner O'Brien has jumped in, and uh, Commish Commissioner Diet uh, is in the middle of his term on that oversight committee. So that will be, that is um, one of the items. That's item number six here on our spreadsheet. Um, so what I would like to do is, and really feel free to ask questions, but really what we're looking for uh, is I'll, I'll run through this menu of items and we'll kind of briefly highlight what we're looking for. And basically what we would do is if you express interest, we would assign, you know, or look to assign you to one of those categories or two of the categories. Obviously, a couple commissioners are not here today. Um, so by default, we can certainly um, connect with them and assign them or ask them at the next meeting if they're interested. But t today, since uh, the four of you are here, we would look to you all for your interest and hopefully we can sign you up for one or two of these items. And then in follow-up, we would connect you with staff, with the appropriate staff on the, each of the individual items or corresponding items uh, and have you attend a meeting or two or in some cases, uh, some of the activities and tabling events that, that either Kirk and Greg are hosting or some of our park rangers are hosting, et cetera. So without further ado, if it's okay with you, Chair, I'd like to just run through the different items and then maybe come back through and work our way through the list to, to see if we can gain some uh, interest. Well, maybe you could ask for volunteers for each item. And okay. That way we could. Okay, sounds good. Well, let's just go to the first one right out of the gate. So we're looking uh, uh, for a commissioner or two to join staff uh, tabling at community events and welcoming the Breathe Respira community grantees and similar groups in our parks when they come out to visits. So as we award community grantees every year, they typically come out to um, the regional parks or our, our facilities for uh, an event of some sort, and that would be an opportunity to ha as a commissioner to be able to come out with staff and greet folks as they come into the park, some for the very first time. Is there any interest? Okay, I'm seeing Commissioner Burns. Thank you, sir. Okay. All right. Uh, and then when we get through this entirety of this menu, we can certainly come back. And, and if, we, if we walk away with you all engaging in one item, then that certainly is sufficient as well. So Why don't you put, put me down, too, if my schedule permits as a backup on number one? Okay, sounds good. So for uh, item number one, we've got Commissioner Burns and Commissioner Diet. The second item, uh, participate in and connect Marin residents to volunteer and environmental education outings and programs. So much of what you just saw uh, from Kirk and Greg, if you can come out and join one or two events over the course of the year, or as many as your calendar can, can accommodate uh, and help engage and represent the commission. I'd be very interested in that. Commissioner Lowne, great, thank you. 
Okay, uh, moving on to the third uh, initiative here, assisting staff with ongoing implementation of the community grant program by participating in application review process and ongoing program evaluation. And that would be um, partnering with uh, Kevin Wright from our team. I'd be interested in that. Okay, Commissioner O'Brien. Okay. I'm on that, I'm on FAR, which is. Yes, which is the next, the next item number four. Um, and we've got a check mark there for you, uh, Commissioner Diet. And that is participating in implementation of the new Measure A funded uh, Food and Resilient Ecosystems or the FAIR grant program, which uh, as you mentioned, uh, Commissioner Diet, you have been involved. This is the brand new program. We're at a point where we've received the first round of applications and we're currently reviewing and preparing to make a recommendation uh, to move forward with that. So um, beside uh, Commissioner Diet, is there any other interest? Okay, seeing none, we'll move on to item number five, joining staff and community partners to explore construction of an inclusive magical bridge style playground in the regional parks. Uh, so that you heard um, um, Max mention that in his director's report. Um, so we're really looking to, as we engage with the community, it's a good opportunity for a commissioner to be part of that. We're at the very early stages, um, and obviously this is probably gonna take us, you know, uh, quite a while to kind of go through the iterative process of, of, you know, finding and selecting locations, determining if it's feasible, funding, uh, fundraising uh, abilities and capacity, et cetera. So uh, I saw your hand, Commissioner Burns, something you're interested in, okay. All right, okay, uh, and then moving on to number six, we already talked about that. That's the uh, participation in the Oversight Committee, the Measure A Oversight <laughs> Committee, and we have re-added Commissioner O'Brien to that, and we've got uh, Commissioner Diet on there. And then the last item, uh, participate in ongoing uh, development of road and trail projects and implementation of the Vegetation and Biodiversity Management Annual Work Plan. You heard from Sarah earlier, um, as part of our annual budget development process, we bring to your commission the, the, the draft plan. We're gonna be uh, continuing conversations with our partners uh, and uh, the community, and then we'll be back for a recommendation from your commission to incorporate into our budget at the March meeting, but also at the March meeting, you'll be hearing a proposed uh, road and trail work plan for also for incorporation into our fiscal year 24-25 budget. The uh, in, intent here is to allow a commissioner or to, to invite a commissioner in to be part of more of the conversations that are going on uh, throughout the year as the planning process, um, as we engage with, with the different community groups, including the Environmental Roundtable and others about prospective work that's being considered um, before we bring it to your commission. So uh, is there any interest from commissioners on that? The trails I'm interested. I, I was just going to say I, I'm quite interested in in the biodiversity uh, management aspect. Okay, okay. I think we, I think it's very reasonable to bifurcate this as well. So, okay. I'm interested in the trails uh, part of it, the trails connections. Okay, excellent. Okay. You will contact the uh, two commissioners who were unavailable. Yes. See if they yeah. want to volunteer yeah. and then we yeah. may. We will definitely reach out individually to gauge interest and see if we can't get folks assigned to that. I, I'll, I'll need to confer with council to make sure that it's not something, there's no issues with Brown Act 
doing that outside of the meeting. But if there is, maybe we have to, uh, we can address it at the beginning of the next meeting or something. So we could just confirm the assignments that were made in the interim. Right. But for the, um, yeah. Let me suggest as you point towards the Brown Act, it might be a lot more prudent just to wait until the next meeting. Okay. We, we we could confirm check it. With, check with county council, yeah, yeah, but I yeah. think you're on safer ground if yep. you. Yep. Well, I'm, I'll happily check in with council to find out. Um, but because we're looking really for volunteer assignments, we'll see what what council has to say, and we'll we'll take their recommended action. Okay. So I. The, uh, an appointment by the chair, or is this uh, just these well, are ver these are verbal? Are people commissioners saying I, I would like that? But is there some? More of a formal. Is there a formal? Is there a formal action? I mean, I, I believe based on what I've got, if 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 we want to make a motion, I don't think it's necessary. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, it's not a formal subcommittee or something like yeah. that. These are just ad hoc. Uh, ad hoc. Okay. Yeah. It was just a question. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. Okay. So I've got uh, that information recorded. I appreciate the the willingness from you all to participate. I think it'll make for a fun exciting um you know outside kind of our in you know a little bit deeper dive into the organization so i appreciate that uh and with that i'll turn it back over to the chair thank you um now is the time for any uh commissioner reports uh just uh, a comment on the state budget as i'm sure many of you have uh seen the state's faciness i'm sorry i apologize but i think we should Ask for public call for public comment on the previous sure, item. As we, right. as oh, yeah. I didn't inadvertently. But yeah, I didn't realize that the. I thought this would be an in-house matter. Well, but it's I still will. an informational item. However, we still need to afford the opportunity for public comment. Uh, certainly, I stand corrected. I apologize. Uh, is there anyone of the public here present today that would like to speak? Seeing none, I then ask if there's any uh, public comment in the queue. There are no speakers in the queue. Hearing no speakers, I then bring it back to the commission, and I think we've uh, um, raised the comments so that we'll close that item and move to the final item. And I did have a comment. Thank you. Um, just uh, as I think most of us are aware, the uh, state's facing a significant uh, budget deficit. Um, we We'll wait to see what happens in the May revise, which is basically the governor takes current information up to May and then recast the budget based on that, so it's a more accurate budget. But it is, uh, all indicators point to significant deficit <clears throat> due to a number of factors, which some of them may be just short term. Uh, but regardless, uh, it's something, one thing to be uh, cognizant of is this <clears throat> during ERAF, uh, some of you may remember that was, uh, that was where the state years ago had similar deficit problems and one of their solutions was to take money from local agencies and transfer it to the state. <laughs> Um, and uh, that caused quite a stir, as you can imagine. That happened several times, and some of them were quite significant financial shifts. 
Proposition 1A passed, which basically limits the state uh, in that process. And if the state decides to do that now under current law, they have to um, declare an emergency and uh, pay the money back. So uh, over a three-year period. So there's less incentive for the state. But that doesn't mean if there's a crisis and a true state of a financial emergency that they still might do that. And if they did that, there'd be a hit to the, all the age, public agencies, local agencies, and there'd be a hit to the county too. And so it's just something, it might be short term, they might have to pay it back, but it could go for a three year period and it's something to be cognizant of. And uh, so all the efforts we're making to get the public to really support open space and parks and what we do, that just helps solidify a priority that the public wants to keep, you know, a, an adequate level of funding for uh, county parks and open space. Also, we're blessed that we have Measure A because that's not subject to the state transferring money away. That's an independent uh, uh, vote and an independent fund that can't be tapped by the state. So we have some buffer, and, and I'm not saying this is gonna happen because I actually don't think it'll happen because I think there's a lot of restraints now that prohibit or make the state think twice. But it's something to be aware of and we shouldn't be surprised if at some point in time, if the crisis is big enough, that they don't resort to this option under Prop 1A. Thank you, Commissioner. Are there any other listening reports? I would just say for the record that I've been working with um, county staff on the, for the FAR program on what they would be reporting to the Citizens Oversight Committee and trying to develop uh, additional information that I think would be important for the Oversight Committee to review and to opine on. Hearing no other um, comments, I then uh, think we're at the time to adjourn the meeting. Yep, just a reminder, March 21st, uh, 2024 is our next scheduled meeting. I should have said that, thank you for putting that in the record. We're not done for the year? <laughs> Yeah.